I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. I'm Michael Morgan, and we're back with this week's Wokecast. As usual, joining me is my Cody, my sister from another mister. It's G. What's going on, G? What up? I think um, the Alley Cats are also going to join us on this broadcast. They've decided to have um, cat alley sex very loudly by my home. So wow. if you guys hear it, it you know. I'm not doing anything I'm not supposed to be doing, y'all. It's just some cats getting busy <laughs> by my home. Do you remember that time that I said that I'm really into the ambient noise and uh, I love it when it gives it that live feel? Oh, yeah. We, this is what I was talking about. Oh, well, gear up. They <laughs> fucking like, so <laughs> you might hear some stuff. <laughs> wow. So this past weekend, we had another set of fights, uh, UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis. Now, for me, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Do you remember last week, I was kind of on the down. It was like, I don't know about this whole UFC card. It just didn't float my boat. Well, mm -hmm. talk about, they must have been listening and talk about the antidote to yeah. that and talk about the pick-me-up yeah. to that kind of like lull in action. I mean, what about those prelims? I yeah. mean, we usually touch on two prelims, but... You know, by right, we could go through a whole gang of them. Yeah. Mine, I'm going to start off with, I'm going to start off with Julian Arosa and mm -hmm. Nate Landwehr. Wow. Now, this pace was just incredible. Absolutely phenomenal in terms of breakneck speed. And that KO, that KO came out of nowhere, that flying knee. And um, for me, I don't know, the whole um, protestation, you know, Landwehr saying, it was almost as though he was yeah, mouthing, let me bang, I bro. I just want to bang, bro. And I, I could see where he was coming from. But, bro, you got yeah. knocked out. Fashion. And knocked and, out in spectacular and fashion. And he went out. Because Incredible. at first I was like, oh, man, I agree with him. He could keep going. And then when they showed the replay over and over again, yeah. he went out for a second. And if, if I saw that during the replay, the referee that's mm. even closer saw that. So he stopped the fight. It was a great stoppage. But you got to watch the replay to really see what the ref saw. But I like the fight, Mike. I love that um, dirty mm. boxing in the clinch. I loved how they just met in the middle and suddenly they were just clinch, you know, dirty boxing, yeah. clinch boxing and just, yes. And then like, the you know, pace. Nate Landwehr lost his footing. He fell around, he fell down, he got clipped and then Julian got clipped. So I was like, mm. oh shit, Julian's going down. And then he gets up and while Nate's like getting his bearing together, he's moving backwards, but you can tell he's trying to like, all right, all right, all right, he, this guy's coming forward. Julian throws that beautiful knee and just mm. ends the fight and overwhelms him. I loved it. I love that he came forward, he didn't yeah. stop, and he overwhelmed his opponent very quickly, pulled the trigger, and just put him out. That's how you do it. Yeah, I liked it. Hmm. How about you? We, us we usually go two for two. Um, 
What's what floated uh, my what boat floated was that boat? last week on Shots Fired, I predicted that these prelims would be fire, and I just want to tap myself on the back right now. You know, I just want to put that out there. I said it, Mike. I said these prelims would be hot fucking fire, yep. and I was right, and the main card was meh to yep. me, but we'll get to it. Let's just the pause right like. there. Let's just pause right there. Go ahead, you go ahead. usually are right. Week in, week out. I remember there was a time when you were like, Mike, you don't watch the prelims? What's going on? This is where the magic happens. This is where the fire happens yeah you're right and then and then mike there's like fighters on here that eventually are going to become contenders mm. or we're going to remember them you know yep. what i mean like yep. we'll get into it but chris Dawkins is one of them that's a baby prelim fighter i've been watching and i remember again last week on the show i was yeah. like yo this dude comes out and he just beats people up but these are the people you find and fall in love with on the prelims before they fight contenders so that's why it's another reason or Sadiq Yosef I fell in love with him on the prelims you know what I mean like you gotta watch them folks Um, but anyway the fight that I liked and it was like a redemption fight I I really liked this was uh, for us Faraz um, Zahabi's brother fights in the UFC. Yeah, Iman Zahabi. He was like on a two-fight losing skid. And come on, he's the brother of Faraz. He's got to get a win in the mm. UFC. He's got to carry that name. So that's what he did. Yeah. But here's the thing. I'm happy for the win. But let's talk about Draco Rodriguez. You know, contender series pup. And I think he looked like a contender series pup, even though the fight was not that <laughs> not on for that long. I forget how quickly it was. But chin up came forward with like a lead uppercut or something that got him clipped immediately. Yeah. I don't know. And then when I looked at his record, there was like some questionable, you know, organizations that he's fought <laughs> for in the past. So, you know, like when you we look them up and you on. see they fought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when I compared the two, I was like, this is this is a fight that Zahabi should have won. Yep. I'm glad he did. Yep. And he needed that. He has a family name. Mm. I was happy to see him win. And he was thrilled afterwards. He was in a great mood and he needed it. Mm. And I liked the one too. He looked far more technical in Drake, than Draco in the short period of time that we saw him. Let's not forget it was a beautiful one-two, I believe. And the range in which he did it was nice. And it was just a very nice technical approach to somebody that came in there willy-nilly. And he did the right thing. You're right. It, it was technical. You're right. It was precise in terms of shots lied, landed after shots mm-hmm. fired. But you're right also. Draco Rodriguez is actually set up to be basically the whipping yeah. boy. And, you know, you yeah. know, props to him. I'm not I'm not hating it because Zahabi being that name, being that his uh, surname carries gravitas, I wanted to see him win. But come on, we both know what's going on here. We know the drill. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't pull up his record fast enough, but when you do pull it up, you can see questionable organizations in his professional record. Like, where were you fighting? Yeah. What organization was this? But yet that's on your professional record. And then, you know, you don't really see the typical, like, KSW or, like, the legit baby organizations that we love. Like, a lot of times I'll look up these contender series guys and be like, where the fuck were you fighting before Mm -hmm. this? You know, and then you can see their basic fundamentals are not there during their UFC debut. But he'll learn from this, Mike. Yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. He's here now, so he'll have to learn. I I think, you know, now might be the time to kind of pause before I, like, um, jump in with Mm -hmm. my, um, or what actually um, caught my eye. Just to kind of, like, acknowledge that, you know, um, Luis Pena... Uh, and Drakkar close. I have to say, that was the fight on the prelim that I was most looking forward to. But 
You and I know, yeah, yeah. You and I know that you know Violent Bob Ross is a is a is a fan favorite, and I was looking forward to seeing him unleash some damage. Yeah, those but knees or something, yeah, the flying knee that he can just you know throw up like in short space and so quickly. I love it. He's unpredictable. Yeah, but for him, you know, then to be informed that on a close his um, cornerman actually tested positive for COVID. And out of precautions, and I think that this was the right call. UFC officials actually removed the bout from the card. You know, yeah, man. But Mike, they, but Mike, here's my issue with that. Is that really out of caution? Because it's like when Masvidal's coach, when he was the main event and Mike Brown tested, yeah. the fight went on. So how much precaution are they really taking? Are you protecting the fighter or do you protect the money? Because I know for a fact when it's a main event, mm. they're not doing that. If the fighter's coach tests, and you're like a prolific fighter and you're also like main or co-main event, the fight goes on. So I don't know. I'd, I'd feel some type of way if I was um, Violent Bob. You know, I'd be the person that's like, hey, you didn't do that for Masvidal, but you did it for me and now I'm not fighting, you know? So I like that they're taking precautions, but also notice the favoritism. There's two approaches I could take on this. Um, kinder, gentler Mike would say, Look, they've learned from past experience and have evolved their game in the way that they deal with COVID issues. And this is the new way in which they're actually dealing with it. That's, you know, that's the kind of gentle Mike. But cynical yeah. Mike, evil Mike kind of thinks, hold on a minute. This wasn't on the main card. It wasn't main event. And if it were, maybe they would have dealt, I wouldn't say even maybe, they would have dealt with this differently. It seems like different strokes right. for different folks and where you are on the card actually determines how closely they are in terms of monitoring and pulling out all the stops by way of um, their, well, protection, quote unquote, protection of the fighters. Yeah, yeah. I guess you have to mitigate the risk factors. Like if we curb Masvidal because of his coach, yes, we're being cautious, but it's also affecting the money. Yeah. You know, and so, and then also too, do we let a prelim fight go on and not be cautious and now it spreads mm -hmm. and it wasn't worth the money, you know, like it's also business. So I get it, but I know if I was violent, um, Bob, whatever his name is, I violent would be in Bob my because I know for, yeah, I would be in my feelings because I know that high prolific fighters, their fights don't get canceled if their coach gets, you know, tested and for, for COVID. But that's just more on a personal level. But I get it. Politics, money involved. Yeah. Know? I saw a uh, tweet from you, which kind of like segues neatly into the next mishap. You tweeted a voodoo doll being stabbed on the timeline. And no sooner <laughs> had you done, yeah, no sooner had you done that. This was at the beginning of the night. No sooner had you done that, Chaz Skelly dutifully uh, rocks up to the cage, is waiting around just like the rest of us for Jamal Emmers to join him, and then no Jamal Emmers. It turns out that Jamal Emmers suffered a back spasm so severe that it actually well was crippling enough that the fight, the fight had to be called off. Now, what did you make of that? Uh, weird huh well i was shocked because it's yeah very weird because it's like as long as i've been watching mma in the ufc i've never had a fight canceled after one fighter <laughs> walked out to the cage yeah. so one it was dis it disrupted the flow of you know or the cadence of the actual show you're kind of like all right i'm ready for jamal's walkout song and for to see him and to you know do what i usually do and he didn't come out and then you know i had concerns i felt bad for him like what's going on yada 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 but 
I, I didn't hear too much or follow up on him. I think he's okay, but I mean, the show goes on and hopefully Chaz got paid. I heard he did some karaoke backstage. He had a good attitude about it. Yeah. Not for nothing, Mike, they were they were gonna scrap. I've never seen Chaz in a boring fight either. And mm. Jamal is, is pretty much, he's fun. He won his last fight and he was pretty, uh, it went to decision, but it was fun. He pieced the guy up. So it would have been fun to see him fight Chaz. So hopefully they put that back on at another time. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Like we missed out on the low. You know? uh, nope. 100%. You know, for the next bout, I had my Jamaican uh, overproof rum in my uh, shots fired glass with custom made bullet inside it, all ready to go for Jamaica's own. Shayna Dobson mm-hmm. versus Casey O'Neill. Man, what a one-sided schooling. Dobson got run over. Let's just call it as it is. You know she's a friend of the show. You know we love her, but Dobson got run over. Despite, did you see those heavy hands? She hits like a truck, but that wasn't enough. I mean, she, O'Neill yeah. now remains unbeaten. And uh, I want to claim her, actually. She was born in Scotland, as you know, and she's now residing in New Zealand. But I heard, yes. But... I, 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 I know in that's Australia, a, yeah, though, right? yeah, exactly. I know that's the reach. Mm-hmm. I know that's the reach. But um, Shanna Dobson, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they keep around because one, she's a fun fighter. Two, she's really talented. But damn, she needs to work on what happens when you get put on your back. What do you make of it? Uh, I I thought a couple of things. I liked the power that I saw in Shayna's Yeah. Hands. I liked that she sat down on her mouthpiece and like was throwing those heaters. But at some point, I wanted her to be like, fall back on that and just work on being more technical. But it's easy for me to say that from the couch while someone is fighting. Yeah. So, um, And then um, secondly, a little bit more work on the ground. And I just think Shayna Dobson is, you know, like a prelim fighter that is still learning the game. And she did good with fighting the hands. Notice Shayna did not get submitted. Mm. But I did notice that she was making some small mistakes on the ground as far as position. And, you know, like she wasn't doing any sweeps. She wasn't, you know, getting out of like the the scrambles like that she was just making sure that she wasn't submitted which led me to believe that she's got a little bit more work to do on the ground but this wasn't Shayna's night it was Casey's night she looked really good out there you know and I liked her heart it seemed to me that she just persevered she ate Shayna's heavy shots she stayed in, um, in her face you know she controlled her on the ground and she was making little mistakes as well, but she stayed in positional advantage, mm. you know? Mm. There's a reason why Shayna was not getting submitted. It's because Casey was also making mistakes on the ground, but Casey yeah. still had the upper hand and the heart to beat her and got that TKO in the second round. I like Casey. I like what I saw, and I think we're going to have fun with her, like with like other prelim fighters that are on like on her level. Like, I'm not ready to see her fight anybody in, like, the top five or whatever, but she's going to be fun. She's got heart, perseverance. Now, I really am reluctant to ask you what I'm burning or the next question on my list of things to discuss around Shayna Dobson because you always get it right. As soon as I ask you this, whatever you say comes to fruition. It's almost like you talk this into existence. Now, given that she last time round was expected to be the underdog even to the extent where you know after securing her wing she was actually barking like an underdog literally barking <laughs> um are we seeing shana dobson bow out of the ufc is, is this where she gets her mar- marching papers man she might I don't know. She might. It just really <laughs> depends if they have a heart for her because mm. it's like not that she has a following but she can still 
Like, we still talk about her. She's still fun. But that's just kind of like my timeline, though. I don't know how she's seen as a whole, but I think she can she can come or go. They can use her as filler. Yeah. Or they're going to cut her. Because look at Hannah Cyphers, four losses in a row, mm. and, is, and is struggling with UFC competition. And I believe she has a fight coming up. That could be Shayna, too, as well. So we shall see. Damn. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't want to. I have fun, you know, calling her my twin. And I like her fights, win or lose. Yeah. Like she has a ton of heart. Like her fights are not boring, win or lose. Mm-mm. Like nobody's upset when they see Shayna on the undercard. So we shall see. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I like her. Uh, me and you both. So over to you. Yeah. What else caught your eye on the prelims? Man, you know, I'm a huge Eddie Wineland fan. And um, I'm familiar with John Castaneda because he's that guy that's having like a hell of a debut in the UFC. I believe his UFC debut was against Nathaniel Wood, Mm. who was coming off a loss from, I believe, what's the um, John Dodson. So he came out sharp when he fought John Castaneda. Like he was kind of like, oh, word, I lost my last fight. Now I'm going to whoop you up, which is what happened. But John fought valiantly. And he's experienced. And then now he's fighting Eddie Wineland. But if you think about it, if you look at his record, this I think he's from Combate. He has a ton of experience. He should be fighting Nathaniel Wood and Eddie Wineland. We are not familiar with John. So we kind of like, why? No, 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 no. This kid is good. However, Mike, the first round, Eddie was doing so good. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. Is it just me? No, he, he was. He was fainting. Yeah, he was in control. It looked like old school Eddie, but like just a little bit more veteran savvy, picking his shots, but still staying in this motherfucker's face. Yeah. And then John also, to me, this might be just a push or maybe I'm just being assumptuous. He looked starstruck or timid. There was something about John that had me like, bro, throw a punch. Like, yeah, you're landing counters here and there, but you seem shook. And then that all changed. He, I think he believed, what, he switched up his stance or whatnot, mm, found mm. an opening, and then just shot up Eddie Wineland in the face with a barrage of punches, and the fight was just fucking over. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to lie, Mike, I was on the couch watching this fight, and then when I saw the tide turn and John do that, my mouth dropped wide open. It was stunning to see him just kind of land one punch and not stop until the referee came over and stopped that fight. And I felt my heart broke for Eddie. Yeah, I, I, it was unbelievable. I like this knockout, but it was heart wrenching if you if you fuck with Eddie, you know. You're right. I mean, you know, who who doesn't like Eddie Wineland? And um, like right. you say, that there, there was a little bit of a timidity at play initially. Um, I feel mm-hmm. from um, you know the the opening stanzas. But where does Eddie go next? What's next for Eddie Wineland? Because I this, think sorry? he's still got some fight in him, Mike. Mm. He's got some fight in him. You know, it's just maybe not these up-and-comers that can put him down like this. I mean, I don't know. I, I still think he has fighting him, Mike, but at the same time, it's been a long career. But, I, I don't know, but he looked good in the first round. What, 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 what can we say, Mike? Yeah, but to be fair, if we're not giving him young bucks, up-and-comers, people who are cutting the teeth in the UFC, who are we giving him? We're not going to give him him veterans. We're not going to give yeah. him people. Um, you can't give him a commentator or just like, yeah, well, they, <laughs> pick someone from the crowd they, now. There you yeah. go. That, that's why I ask because, yeah. mm, man, that's a difficult one. That's a difficult one. It is. It is. Because he looked good the first round. Yeah. He still got some fight in him. Yeah. But at the same time, he still goes down in horrific fashion. 
exactly. when he goes against these young bucks. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a precarious situation. It really is. And then even as a fan like myself, I love him. I've been watching him for years. I like to see him fight. He throws hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's and then look how he looks. He looks like a fucking back in the day Irish, you know, <laughs> fighter or some shit. You know, like Gangs of New York. I love his look. It, yeah, yeah, that's what comes to mind when I see Eddie Wyland. Right, like uh, the butcher guy. Yeah. Like he could roll with that yeah. crew or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like him. I like the package. You know, hate to see him go down like that. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of gangs in New York, I got that same vibe with, um, as we're on to the main card now, heavyweights mm -hmm. um, Andre Lowski and Tom Aspinall. Now, you know yeah. I was high on this guy. Him being yep. <clears throat> straight out of uh, Kaibon's, or sorry, Kaibon's, Excuse me, can't getting getting tongue twisted here. Uh, Colin Heron's um, uh, Kaibon uh, Jim. Now, for me, um, seeing him go up against a legend. Let's just let's just pause right now because he is a legend. Anybody that kind of tries to tell you otherwise, Andrzejowski, come on now. We're talking they don't about know MMA we're, if you're we're, not saying that, we're talking yeah. about royalty here. The incredible hand speed that made this member of the royal family in terms of MMA look ordinary was horrendous to see because this is the type of thing that you would see against a newcomer. This is the type of thing that you'd see against someone making their UFC debut. He made him look as though, you know, he was going one speed and um, Tom Aspinall was going another. Plus, he chokes out a legend. Aspinall just... And the way that he did it, the speed at which he did it, frightening. Now, the thing about this whole submission, I know I'm laughing, but it's just kind of like baffling. He's only lost once before in 50 plus fights via sub. And that was from Josh Barnett and now Tom Aspinall. Mate, I was just baffled by the whole way in which he kind of like just tossed him aside as though... You know, as I say, he was like new to the game. Tom Aspinall definitely is one to watch. I'm high on this kid, I know. I'm needing or in need of being railed back in because he's from the UK. But man, I've got a lot of time for the Kaibon uh, um, lot as well because um, they were one of the first gyms, Colin Heron in particular, obviously because he's the owner, to invite me into the gym to see like an inside look. Now, You'll know yourself, look, it's not everybody who gets invited into a gym with a camera or even a microphone because, you know, there's some sacred things that take place there and there's, there's some things, hints, tips and tricks that they want to keep secret. No, they told me that I was welcome to keep my cameras rolling for as long as I wanted as soon as I went in there. And they were the first gym to do that um, over 11 years ago when I, you know, started filming inside gyms. It was mm -hmm. like a, a, almost like an MTV Cribs series where, like, I, I went oh, from wow. gym to gym and saw how they prepped, saw how they actually laid out the gym and just got kind of the secret angle of the inside of a gym. So I've, I've got kind of like, um, what's the word? I, I kind of like connection with that gym because of that very kind of like um, the, the way in which, you know, Colin Heron was quite open with me. But what did you make of um, Tom's performance? Um, man, I'm not as high up on him as like you and Chisanga. And I remember last week on the show, I was like, they really believe in this guy. Mm. And meanwhile, I'm thinking to myself, this is clearly a gatekeeper, you know, <laughs> type of fight. And 
last time, you know, somebody tried to get past Arlovsky, he does shoot them back down. He beat up Tanner Bosser. He was like, no, you're not ready. Yeah. And I haven't, even though I know Tom has fast hands and, and I'm hearing a lot of good stuff from him, his last two opponents weren't, I mean... Alan um, Boudot and, and Jake Collier, who was not even a natural heavyweight, I'm like, yeah, he smoked them, but he should have. He's better than them. Yeah. It's just a given. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel like I didn't get enough to see this brute go up against a legend like Arlovsky. And let's not forget, yes, Arlovsky has a, a weak chin, but he's a veteran, and he works well with his camp. You understand? So they come up with effective game plans just for him, and he, t- and he can win. And that's what I thought would happen if Tom did not catch him. But, man, I was thrilled to see the hand speed of Tom. I was thrilled to see how calm he was. And who expected him to get a fucking submission? submission. I did it. Yeah. I thought he was going <laughs> to knock his block. I, yeah. I was like, if Tom wins, he's going to knock um, Andre's um, – he's going to break his nose, knock his chin off his head, because we know his chin is kind of weak. Weak, yeah. But Andre knows to avoid that shit. So if he dances around and does that veteran performance, he can get past Tom. And that's mm. what I thought was going to happen. Because I have not seen enough from Tom to pick him. But let me tell you, now that he's gotten past Arlowski, I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> that hand speed was scary. I like that he ripped the body when Arlowski was covering up with the high guard. I like that. You know what I mean? He hits hard. The hand speed is scary. And then when Arlowski made that mistake and left his neck out and turned his back, he knew what to do. It's very Chelsea. easy, I think, to do flurries in yeah. one place. But he was doing body, head, uppercuts, hooks, jabs, the whole shebang. And it was just at lightning speed. I played that back so many times because it was mesmerizing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, uh, me too. I, I watched it several times. It was like a video game yeah. combination. Like as soon as he got him against the clinch, he just started peppering his ass up. And I love that, you know, Arlovsky had the high guard, but when he started to hit that body 50 times, he had to let go of that and try <laughs> yeah. to, you know, and I like that. I, you know, there was another fight on the card where even Bisbing was like, bro, hit the body. I think it was Chris Dawkins' fight. And I kind of, I kind of agree with that. Like when somebody is just blocking all your shots, go for that body, yeah. get that guard down. And I like that Tom just was like, fuck it, I'm about to nail you 50 times in the gut. <laughs> and it was fun. And I was not expecting that submission, so hats off to him. And one more thing about Tom, mm. I really like his swag. I love his interviews. Like, they need to promote him. He, he speaks so well. He sounds like a G. I find his presence very alpha and very like I find him to be sexy in his interviews I like want him to keep talking and I like his his confidence it's very like I know who I am I know I'm good it's just y'all don't know I'm good you're right he's very understated and he he does have charisma speaking of charisma and and speaking of surprises Phil Halls and um, Nazardin Imanov now (laughs) I went into this thinking I can uh, I can set my watch by this we're literally going to have like a, a, a one round, one round devastation here. But I was shocked and surprised to see how many times that Phil was out on his feet. It was almost as though he was hanging on for dear life. Well, actually, let me just run that back. It's not almost as though he was wobbled and especially in the third. Now, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I'm, well, recently biased. I'm looking at his recent fight and come on. He brought it and, you know, <laughs> some devastating uh, highlight reel material that he's produced. But I was shocked by this. I have to say that 
is not the outcome that I thought would would be, and uh, a decision isn't what where I thought we'd be at the end of this fight. How about you? I hated this fight, to be honest. What with you. I was um um you, Philip Hawes and, and Nasadine Imamov. Yes, this, this this is yes. No, I didn't like this fight. I didn't like the main card, but let me let me get into Phil Hawes. Yeah, now let me just I sit just down. Was, <laughs> yeah, I was just I don't know for some reason I just was like finicky with this one. It it bothered me. Um, when when Imamov was landing those hard shots and he was hurting Phil Hawes, I was the person at home like, finish him! There's an opening! And then on top of it, I'm just like, this motherfucker is from Dagestan. Why can't he wrestle? <laughs> what is going, I ain't never seen no Dagestani man go down like that over and over again against an American wrestler. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I was like, somebody tag Khabib and put him in the hill, get him out of France and put him right back in Russia. I don't know what the fuck is going on. And then on top of it, here's the thing. When I first watched that fight, I thought Philip Hawes won, or at least it could have been a draw. Now when I go back and look at it, Imamov was landing the harder, more significant shots. Every time somebody was stunned, wasn't it Philip Hawes? Yeah, but, but come every on. Every time he but... was stunned, he threw the guy to the ground and Philip Hawes was cheating. He had his hand on yeah. that um, cage, keeping Imamov in the clinch way too many times. Yeah. And that ref should have taken a point. <laughs> I heard him say that at least four or five times. No exaggeration. That's called stop the fight ref and take a point. Phil is cheating. That, that fight should have been a draw or a win for Imamov, and he should have taken a point. You know, when you put and it in that... it was always when he put him up against the cage, which yeah. was when that was Phil's advantage that's how you know he was cheating yeah. it's like if i hold him against the cage i'm gonna <laughs> drain his tank i'm winning and i didn't like that go ahead mike I didn't nah you, you're right to finish the point because um when you put it like that i have to bow my head in shame you're right they, the rest should have taken the point up because it was like constantly whilst it was um canny of him that's the word i think which is kind of like relevant here it was canny of him it was tantamount amount of cheating yeah but look yeah. I, i'm pleased that you know he got through it because that shows you great determination and heart he was out on his feet several times towards the end of the second and definitely in the third he looked as though you know he was on stanky legs a few times and um you know to come through that to gut that out to actually weather that in terms of a barrage of punches nah you gotta give him his props though come on yeah yeah i mean let me let me yeah i i think both men fought valiantly of course you know like yes phil should get his props that wrestling was amazing yeah you know what i'm saying like those takedowns were were strong like he was throwing him down to the ground like a child and he was also exposing the fact that Imamov's wrestling sucked mm. and that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do that was his weakness and phil was like oh word you don't want to you don't want to wrestle no problem we gonna wrestle but what what drove me crazy too was that when Imamov had him hurt there was a particular time i think it was towards the end of the third round maybe i can't remember but like he was like looking at the clock instead of just grabbing and like bite down on your mouthpiece come forward and put that guy out instead yeah. of you looking at you know like the clock you you looking at your coach and i'm like you're in the middle of her he's on skates brother don't look at the clock <laughs> i was disappointed with that but imamov needs to really like work on his wrestling and phil gotta work on that cardio and his cheating i'm, I'm just call it what it was he cheated last night fight should have been a draw <laughs> Sorry. So how about Alexi Olenek and Chris Dokas? What did you make of that? I love this fight because like I like I told you before in the earlier segment, I found Chris on the prelims. 
every time this guy fights he comes out in the first round and it's either a flurry of just these punches and then with a knee and these heavyweights crumble yeah he gives a short speech he goes back and then he goes home and he has the same attitude as tom aspinall i know i'm good y'all don't know it but just wait and see and he kind of said that after the show like bisming was like call someone out and he was like anyone in the top 10 you'll see i don't have to say anything i'm good and i know it and i believe him i'm a believer and that's why they gave him Olenek to see if he's ready for that. So now you're going to see him in the rankings. But I'm not surprised. Yeah, took this him is what this guy does. Took, yeah. took him just under two minutes to get that finish, and uh, yeah, impressive, impressive. Very. And he and if you go back and watch his fights, it's just what he does. And here's something that I picked up yesterday, Mike, and I meant to bring it up the show. I'm glad I remembered. He has a phenomenal ability to control his range movement. I, his range, like his distance management is beautiful. Like those hooks that he likes to throw, those punches, yeah. he, he needs a certain amount of space to throw them. And when you watch him fight, he'll take like a tiny step, um, half step back to make sure it lands. Mm. And that's why Olenek, that those punches were landing on the side of his forehead. Chris <laughs> like took a little half step back to make sure he could unleash those punches. And it was beautiful. And I caught it real quick. And that goes to show me he fights to his strength. He knows what he's good at. He knows it's its hands, and he knows where to be to connect and to get you down on the ground. And I agree with the announcers. We're going to have some fun with this guy. I don't know if he's going to contend, but we're going to be talking about him. You see, I see where you were coming from earlier, you know, when you were mm -hmm. saying, well, uh, the main card didn't really float my boat because I thought Charles Rosso and um, Derek um, Minner, this was where kind of like when you look at the momentum of the fights or the previous fights before, this was kind of like, hmm, this is where we maybe can like nip out and put the kettle on and then come back. It was one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, similarly with um, Caitlin Vieira and, uh, you know, Kurtis Kaya, I, I had the same kind of like, mm, maybe this is where I go and get a beer. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Uh, definitely during the Uniskaya fight. Yeah. yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed them, but I can see where you're coming from. But when you, like, look at the main card as a whole, I mean, we're talking, what, four out of a possible, what is that, six? And I think, you know, weighted towards pretty good fights, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I mean, this is where, like, I was like, oh, the, the, the action and the fun has stopped. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't want to rag on them too much because here's the thing. Derek Minner, what fought a beautiful fight he was in complete control dominance he didn't blow his load he's you know sometimes he like blows his gas tank and let me tell you he did a really good job and I'd also like to talk about his corner which is James Krause James Krause is turning into a hell of a coach mm -hmm. he knows to say the right things at the right time to get these boys to win and I'm loving it yeah and I liked his coaching. I like the fact that Derek, once he um, cut the distance, that's it. He started beating up Charles on the feet. Um, he knew when to hit the takedown. He was always in a positional advantage. Like he was in pure dominant control. He was excited. I liked the performance. It just, the fight didn't get me going, but I was proud of Derek Minner. I, I thought he fought really well. And as far as Yana and Caitlin, I don't understand Caitlin's strategy in this fight. Like, 
you go down on the ground with her and at one point and I forget which round it was but she was like on her back for the majority of the fight and still mm. lost the round because yep. she ain't do shit <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I'm saying and I think fighters like really need to remember I think that judging is changing I think we're seeing like a cultural shift in judging you no longer can just take someone down and sneak out these rounds yeah. and win just because you're like on top of these people. I really think when you're on the ground, fighters really need to be cognizant of submission attempts. You mm. have to go for them. Mm. You have to strike people. Yeah. You cannot just control them by rolling around on their back the whole time. You're not doing nothing, so you're not getting points. And then let's not forget, Mike, she showed up overweight. And I don't like, I didn't like Caitlyn's game plan. What were you doing, sis? So I think she has a lot to go back on the drawing board, but again, Yana, again, fought a smart fight. She played to her strengths. She fixes her mistakes a lot when she fights Mike. Like, she'll come back and make adjustments. I just don't like her fighting style. It's <laughs> not for me. You know what was what for me? Do, I mean, yeah. No, no you're right. Um, this, as I say, the, these two fights before the main event had me kind just of like... It, yeah, they, they were a little bit of a, bit of a downer because of the pace, first of all, of the prelims, the finishes, yeah. obviously, the, the prelims, but in terms of advancement and position and actually, you know, doing something that was exciting, this was kind of like standard fare. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they were rubbish. I'm not saying, oh, this was horrendous, it was horrible, it was all stalling, but both of these, nah, they didn't really do that much for me. And that's why, you know, I suppose it was all, all, all the, well, I suppose it made the main event all the more sweeter because Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis, I suppose as well, because Ooh. I had skin in the game, I had bet you guys that uh, Blades was going to come out there and do the business. Now, I hope you've seen on the timeline already, I delivered as soon as I woke up and watched the fight and uh, mid-breakfast, I was like cursing. I dusted myself <laughs> down, rolled the camera and, you know, delivered those 20 press-ups. I'm glad that uh, that's Good been done. You. You look strong. And I, I've learned <laughs> I've learned a lesson um, basically not, not to bet, not to gamble. It's just not for me. I'm not, I'm never a winner. Yeah. Mike, you saw at the last minute because I wanted to pick Blades and then I was like, no, I'm going with the, everybody else and I'm picking Derek Lewis because like you just can't count him out. Like a, just like a little bitch ass, I changed my thing <laughs> and left you in the dust. But I had a, you know, I just was like, I feel uncomfortable picking against him because he's so mm. fucking unpredictable, strong, and just, I don't know what's up with this guy. He he, he just wins, and he's so strong. What would have... Go, no, go on. I, I was about to say, what, what would have made this victory, um, if it had actually played out the way that it started uh, from the Blades, is that he was piecing him up on the feet. There wasn't any... Th 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 there wasn't any, like, okay, we're going straight for the takedown. Nah, he came out there guns yes. blazing. Yes. I mean, that I was, I was going to harp on that, too, as well. Like, in the first round, I noticed that, like, Curtis Blades was doing well. Why? Because he refused to brawl with Derek, and that was the smart thing to do. You don't go to Derek and mm. brawl with him. You're going to get smoked. you got to keep it technical, and that's what Curtis did. Did you see the calf kick? Yes. That was killing Derek yeah. in the beginning. Mm. I even saw a small welt start to form, and he was just, Derek was in and out not Derek, excuse me, Curtis was in and out, technical. Wasn't always like, you know the threat of the takedown was there, but Curtis was like, I don't mind boxing, but technically, yeah. and it was working for him. But then you could tell Derek Lewis is like, at some point, this man that loves to go for like, 
double leg takedowns because that's his game. We all know that's what Curtis does. He blasts you. Derek Lewis and his camp, they they uh, practiced and rehearsed that uppercut. He was dying to do it mm. and it landed and mm. it stopped the fight. Mike, is it true that like after Curtis hit the ground and of course Derek hit him with those two shots afterwards, is it true that Curtis was almost like gargling or did you hear him? I heard that there yeah, were strange I, noises coming from him. As he was coming around, as you would because you know, your your, your airways have been probably blocked with, with fluid or, or whatever. And yeah, he was yeah. like, you know, you could hear kind of like gargling, but that was him coming, coming too. That, that's kind of like normal. And that's what I said to you last week. We're hearing more now, obviously because of the crowds, but I've, I've got a feeling it's got to do with the production values now. We're, we're starting to centre on the things which are really immersing us in the fight, whether it's, you know, someone crying because they've lost or coming to because they've been choked unconscious or knocked unconscious. We're getting more of this, and I personally feel, you know, it adds to the sense of the excitement and it adds to the sense of realness that we're all, you know, immersed in. Yeah, yeah, like definitely. I, I mean, I got a question for you though, Mike. Mm. I don't, I don't. What do we do with Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis? Because here's the issue, and and why I'm asking. John Jones is coming up to heavyweight, so he kind of just like fucks up the order of things. Yeah. And not in a, in a bad. I'm not complaining when I say that. Mm. I'm just saying we have to address the fact that when he comes up, certain people are going to be put to the side. You know what I mean? Like, we have to figure out where John Jones comes into this, and then Stipe is fighting who? Francis coming up. So what do you do with, like, Curtis and Derek? Why? Derek didn't know who to call out. He was like, John Jones is coming up, I guess, or, or Stipe. Like, you, you could tell he was like, I don't know what the fuck is going no, on. No, so. but he's right. What you he's think? right. Those call-outs that happened last night were pitch perfect. In terms of what happened, you know, Curtis played. Let, let's let's give him his due. He put on an incredible performance. He just wasn't good enough. Now him going up against John Jones, why not? Mm-hmm. And Derek Lewis, yeah, yeah. he, you know, he's already still smarting because Alexander, um, uh, Alexander, Alistair Overeem um, called him out and basically, you know, saw him as someone that he could be. So I can imagine why, or I can, I can, I can understand why Derek Lewis has got beef there and that he wants to um, welcome he, Ale- uh, Alistair um, to his left and his right. And why not? And so, it's true. So let's Late, do that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because later on, I did see Derek say something like, I still want Overeem. And Overeem was like, I'm still here. And which is amazing because like someone like Overeem, who's been knocked out so many times, what the he's got balls, bro, if he wants to fight (laughs) Derek Lewis. It's it's so funny. I got another question for you, because last night we did the um, clubhouse thing after the fight and we all got together and discussed this fight. I was dead. There was no way I was making that. Four four o'clock in the morning, you guys were were talking all night. I went to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. It wow. Was, it was so much fun and ridiculous. But I can't wait until we discuss, like, a card that's even better. Like, we're really going to get it popping. But anyway, in Clubhouse, um, somebody brought up a really good question. Who hits harder, Derek Lewis or Francis Ngano? I'm starting to think Derek might have that that power on Francis. It's just that Francis, when he strikes, it looks far more dramatic and, and lumbering. But who's stronger, Mike? You see, I, I was going to immediately say um, Francis Ngannou only because he did that stress test and that is where they physically, um, using the latest yeah. technology, measured how hard he hits and how hard uh, it would feel 
um, to be hit by him and it looked ferocious it looked terrifying so that's why I'm, I'm going with Nganu I would like to have the same kind of like measuring stick for um, yeah. um, Lewis so I'm saying Nganu only because you know he's literally um, had the technology which verifies him yeah yeah and you could be correct and as you were saying that I remember that footage and I remember thinking it would be cute if like Derek Lewis and him could just measure their power because quiet is kept. Who knows? Derek might be stronger than him. The way Curtis collapsed from yeah. just that short. Sh and then let's not sleep. Don't forget that was a short uppercut. That wasn't the Jeremy Stevens RDA uppercut that came full force mm. and, and knocked out RDA. This was a short one like, oh shit. Ooh. I think they call that shovel uppercut, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, there you go. And it's, it's short. Yeah. Which means you can't generate as much power, but mm. somehow he was able to and knocked out a man of such size and stature of Derek, excuse me, of Curtis Blades like that. And then the two shots afterwards, it was unnecessary, but it, um, Derek is right. It was Herb Dean's fault. Sir, get closer. These two men are fighting. You need to be as close as possible. You see, hold on a minute. Let's just kind of like, you know, press pause there because... I didn't have any problem with him actually going until the ref told him to stop. So I don't think it was oh, unnecessary. Oh no, I don't have a problem with that. Mm. I agree with I agree with um, Derek Lewis saying, "Oh, that was D Herb Dean's fault." Like I agree with him a hundred percent. It's yeah. not his job to be like, "Oh, this guy's unconscious." In the middle of a fight, it's really hard to pull back your adrenaline and to stop like hitting someone. I'm with and you. That comes from yeah, that comes from experience. Now that I'm not a cop anymore, I can kind of say that. But it's like <laughs> it's like. It's really hard to kind of be like, I right, he's good, we done. Mm. So that's why you need a referee. And mm. sometimes when you're policing, it would be nice if we had one too. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Maybe like, not Herb Dean. <laughs> oh, no, Herb would have had us like in jail or, you know, locked up with the other cops that, are do <laughs> that have done shady shit. But, like, real talk, it, 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 like when I see fans complaining about, like, oh, you should know to pull back, it makes mm. me kind of think you've never been in a fight. Yeah. Like, you don't know what it's like to have your adrenaline that high up and you have all that pressure to win or to fight for your life and you're just supposed to stop. Mm. No, that's mm. why they have a referee. And that's why he said, no, nah, that's, that's Herb Dean's fault, which is true. But, I mean, what can you do? Sometimes Herb is not close enough for something like that. He can't always be in the right spot at the right time. I didn't drag him for it, but it's all good. Yeah, now nah, I hear you. I mean, speaking of... Yeah. Dragging. Um, it kind of like neatly segues that particular word, neatly segues into how I felt um, about yesterday's broadcast. I was basically intrigued. And I, I put it out on Twitter and I asked the question look, am I the only one who was baffled why Michael Chandler was included in a celebration of black oh history God. on uh, the UFC broadcast? Now, bearing in mind, we'd been kind of like pitched this um, by UFC when they actually announced this at the beginning of February, that it was going to be a celebration, it was going to be recognition, it was going to be highlighting black talent. Now, for me, it was uncomfortable to see Michael Chandler included in that broadcast. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm alone here. Maybe, you know, maybe I need to just chill out a bit. Maybe I'm being a little bit overly sensitive. But this is against the background of me expecting the UFC to do more than just highlight black talent, to do more than just pick names out and show us their pictures, to do more. And seeing this, it was 
patronising at best. I mean, first of all, I mean, what, what did you make of it? Because I put this out on Twitter as a sound. I want to read out a few of the um, replies that I yeah, got. Yeah, but yeah. what did you think? I thought my friend Lanta Brown handled it the best. When I woke up this morning and I saw what she said, mm. I was like, she fucking nailed it. That was nothing but a segment to pander to white audiences. And I felt like the child was being used as almost like a prop. And that's why sometimes I'm like, ah, like I, I, I just, I love to see a black child with a loving family, but a lot of times I cringe because I'm just like, are you guys like supporting the fact that he's black and he's gonna have to deal with racism in America? Are you guys really, you know, teaching him about his roots? Is he, is he although he's adopted by white parents, is he around other black children and black parents? Like, is he around other black people? And nothing about that segment led me to believe that that was going on. And secondly, how did we celebrate him as an African-American? by saying he has white parents that want him to be to know his history yeah. what, what sense does this make and also it's also a slap in the face for folks especially black people like myself that have seen Dana White um, defend someone like Colby Covington when Colby calls Usman and other black employees that you, you are celebrating this month criminals mm. when they weren't so you've already taken a stance on like ah, I'm not into Black Lives Matter and I'm going to parade Trump and I'm going to defend racist comments by my own fighters and then the following month you're going to have a black history month and then make it about white parents unbelievable it was pandering and it was a little bit not tokenism but it was a little bit like you're using this kid like a fucking object like the kid was objectified and i didn't like it my the only people that i saw that liked it on my timeline were like white people that seem to be ignorant to me that don't know any black people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. ignorant white people were like, that was lovely. <laughs> and then meanwhile, people that knew the truth were like, bitch, that was awful. Mm. So I didn't like it. And also too, Mike, I know you live in the UK and whatnot, but it doesn't really feel like black history this year because of what's going on with COVID, insurrection, Trump, okay. Biden. It's not popping this year. Mm. Every Every black history month, I learned something new excuse me, every year during Black History Month, I always learned something new about some black person that did something wonderful, but their history was whitewashed or removed. And I haven't been learning that much this year because like, we're so undaunted with what's going on with COVID. I don't really feel like we're celebrating black history. So another slap in the face is that even at a time when we're, it doesn't even feel like it's popping, here comes Dana with pandering to a white audience and white parents. So it's interesting slap you in say that face. because um, you're right. I haven't really got a sense of how it's actually popping off in the States and how it's, it's appreciated if, if, it, if it is or it isn't because I'm living my life vicariously through people like you right. and uh, Esha who I have to say has been keeping us up to date on the regular in terms of black history i'm learning some stuff but this was an opportunity i feel to learn some stuff and to actually pander or to push mike or michael chandler out there as the means by which we're going to learn well come on please what are we learning here plus it makes me think on the production staff the writers the people who are actually putting these vignettes together are there any black staff because i know that will be a honking example of uh maybe we should have a quick team meeting about this because i don't think it's going to go down very well because of this factor i doubt very much 
that there were any black production staff on there because if there was that wouldn't have actually been presented in the way that it was but yeah that's a good point yeah i think a black person would have been like can we yeah do this a different <laughs> way because this is kind of about white people like that's how i felt i really felt like what chandler did was about white people yeah. i think if there was a black person you know working that could have been like <clears throat> can we maybe switch this up or like or at least show us how you are teaching him about his african-american history mm. it was just like we have white parents and we just want him to be black and it was like how why weren't they somewhere where you know they were doing that they were in action with the kid doing black things or something you know i hate to sound ignorant but like you didn't show us that you just said it and y'all look like some happy little family with a black kid and it just was weird to me it's just like how are you celebrating his culture? You're just celebrating the fact that you adopted him and he's black. It gave me throwbacks of Madonna. That is kind of what made me feel quite yeah. uncomfortable about it all. But other people were uncomfortable as well because having a look at the timeline and those people who actually responded, I'm just gonna quickly canter through. MMA by Milliken, um, he had this to say, I was just surprised he wasn't Mike Perry. Dana White doing Dana White oh, things. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Natraj. Uh, Natraj can be reached at Nat Carve MMA. And he said, UC chose to focus on him adopting a black child as a point for white people, but forgot about how he wanted to move to parlor to talk mad shit, which is absolutely true. And that's why this is tone deaf, because it's off the background or, or set against the background of him and his love for parlor and um if i remember rightly okay he removed the post but he was talking about stop the steal now mm, tone yeah. deaf i don't i don't i don't know anybody that is pro-black into black history into stopping the steal insurrectionist <laughs> behavior or anyone i don't have anybody pro i have pro-black friends i have friends that are whatever people like to use the word woke and none of these people have parlor accounts None of them. There you go. I, I just don't understand. And also, too, um, just to make this a little bit personal, I know, like, here in Brooklyn, I know of children that have, like, um, white parents or, like, my little niece goes to school and there's, like, a Michael Chandler family in there. And they're, they're not, like, on parlor. They don't support. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they're more focused on getting him into Kwanzaa and getting him with his black friends. But yet his parents, his white parents show up, but they have enrolled him into an all black African-American school. Okay. Where they're teaching their son. Yes. My niece goes to this school. They're teaching their son. It's like an Afrocentric type of school. Mm. But his parents are white. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Those okay. parents are concerned with him being a black child in America. They didn't make a commercial and be like, we white people adopting black kids, look at us. And then on top of it, when the tables are turned or when we're online, we got to see that same man talking about loving his black child, looking for friends on Parlor, yeah. which is also, and we know what, what Parlor is about, right? Yep. There's alt-right accounts on there. Yep. There's there's white nationalistic groups. There's nothing pro-black on Parlor. Nope. Shame on him. Hmm. Yes. Next up. The Phantom Dennis. He said, that was number one bullshit, mate. I saw it and wondered oh. who the heck thought that was a great idea, considering the number of actual black athletes around the world in the UFC. Shay Daisy, Shay MMA, said, I wish Michael Chandler and the UFC stopped parading that child around like he's an accessory. The UFC Thank has you. many black fighters they could put stories out and promote. Um... Um, 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 next up, Echo Mars, um, Jenny Millsap um, said, 
weird that the UFC has fighters of color and they chose the one white dude they just signed to spotlight because he adopted a black kid. Um, and I think this goes to your point, what Lan um, Lanta said. Um, Lanta mm -hmm. Brown has chimed in. I don't think he deserves a medal for adopting a black child any more than any other child. It's almost like saying it was a burden he was willing to take on. And that doesn't sit right with exactly. me. Man, this is powerful. Yes. I'd rather hear about the history or achievements of black fighters. Just my take, though. Um, next up, MMA J102 said, I mean, white privilege is something else. <laughs> so now Chandler teaches adopted son how it is to be black in America. White America suffers from the need to exalt white saviors to compensate for either their guilt or their just plain incentive. Incentive? And misinformed. Incentive. Um... Right. <laughs> Next up, Seamus, Seamus2049 said it was super weird. Kept waiting for them to promote his next fight or something. Relevant beyond pandering. Insanely tone deaf. Now, that is spot on. You know, just to kind of like uh, wrap up, because, you know, I, I could go on for hours <laughs> in terms of like those people who, who were actually commenting. But this uh, last comment, um, which was actually tagged into the, the question that I raised, um, it's Mr. It's me, Mr. G, tagged in Andreas Hale, who said, I'm sorry, but the UFC's black history piece is essentially. Oh, hold on. Why has that been lost now? Sorry. Here we go. Back again. I'm sorry, but the UFC's black history piece is essentially a white saviour segment that spotlights Mike Chandler, Michael Chandler, adopting a black boy. Mm -hmm. That's the best y'all got. Now, that is what made me uncomfortable. And, you know, I think Andreas Hale kind of like sums up a lot of the feeling. And indeed, a lot of those people who've actually um, typed in their comments, it just shows you that there were no positive aspects to what has been done. I've not seen one person here saying, oh, it was oh, beautiful. It, it brought I a have. tear to my eye. Really? Um, I'd love... I know you mentioned one earlier, but in terms of uh, scale and in terms of balance, it's been more negative than, than positive, right? Am, oh, I, am, I, am I getting the right picture here? More, yeah, everybody was like, this is weird. Because it was like a cringe moment in the... In the um, in the broadcast and I'm telling you the only people that were like um, that liked this segment were the people that it was pandering to white people that were like oh mm. look at the child you know we saved him the white savior thing if you like white savior shit you like this and matter of fact um, let me um, somebody responded to Lanta because because um, I told you I woke up this morning Lanta nailed it she said white people think it's heroic that Michael Chandler adopted a black child because they think that's such an extreme, unlikely thing to do. That was a feel-good piece aimed at a white audience from a white perspective on Black History Month. Nailed it, bitch. Wow. Now here's a response from Wandering mm. Ure. You're a dumb bitch. Not sorry. What? From Wandering Ure. You're a dumb bitch. Not sorry. Fuck any of you that think negatively of that promo package. Honestly, you all fucking suck. Yes, Mike, people do exist and think this was an appropriate um, segment on the broadcast, so much so that they felt compelled to call Lanta a dumb bitch. 
So yes, there are people that you know enjoy this segment to answer your question. <laughs> you see, how inarticulately put, but I, I, I commend he or she, whoever put, put that down, because it gives you a sense of, well, maybe that's the audience that, or not that's maybe, that was the audience to. that it resonated with. I wow. I DMs, and wow. I slid up in her DMs, it's like, girl, you are talking to the very person that, you know, the audience that you're referring to, they have responded. Anyone okay. that felt compelled to call yes. her a dumb bitch for that is the person that she is talking to. That that segment on Black History Month with Michael Chandler parading that black child spoke to you, sir. You liked it. And when she mm. tweeted that that shit was wrong, it hit home. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to take accountability. Nobody wants to be like, why does Lanta feel that way? Let me go in her DMs and ask her. Instead, this person said, you're a dumb bitch. This person is upset and they like this fucking white savior shit. And when Lanta, as a white woman, had something to say about it, this account was like, oh, hell no, bitch, here I come. And I'm telling you, Mike, there were a few people like that. But hopefully when people listen to shows like this and they see the responses, the majority responses of African-Americans and white people saying this, perhaps this account and other people can learn, you know? That is incredible. Yeah. I mean, compelled to incredible. call her a bitch. Why I like comments like this? <laughs> now, I, I, I know, I know, I know it's really offensive, but why I like comments like this because I sometimes get a sense of these are the comments that I think that people really want to say but don't exactly. say. So when I hear that, when I see that, it's like, aha! So I was right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's why I wanted to like say that on the show i want to prove to you like there are people right. that like this segment and the people that like yeah. this segment it's why i read lanta's tweet that's who she's talking about if you took offense to the segment wow. and if you didn't take offense to the segment and it warmed your heart sit back and think about why and also find out our perspective on why we're so upset about it before you make a comment and say fuck you lanta for saying that Ask Lanta why. Ask mm -hmm. the African Americans and the white people that are like, that was wrong before you fucking comment. And try to be an objective and critical thinker before you jump to insult someone for just having an opinion about something that was obviously wrong and pandering. Unbelievable. But I like when they do that. You show your ass when you do that. Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. And, and I think that kind of like discourse, that free speech, Whilst it is offensive, it should be encouraged. I like when people say things with their chest, don't backtrack, and a view that represents them. And thank you for sharing that with us. That really does underline what I feel. Um, well, <laughs> illustrates, look, this this is your audience. Yeah, this when, is your audience. But that's why I crept up in Lanta's DMs. When I saw that, I was like, don't, you know, I want to be like, first and foremost, don't respond to that. And secondly, you are talking to the very person that you are subtweeting. This person, that's that's who they pander to. you. And then you could hear it in the tweet. Yeah. He's very upset. He's like, how dare you? You could tell that account is like, how dare you take something that was so nice and wholesome and make it into race or this? You could <laughs> tell. And that's when, you know, it's like, bitch, we talking about you. You the problem and you don't even know it. And not only are they a problem, Mike, here's mm. another thing. Whatever happened to critical thinking? Whatever happened to like, before I yeah. comment and call this woman a bitch, what is she so upset about? How come she didn't see things my way? How come this isn't a happy family um, mm. interracial adoptive moment? If you that dumb and you think it's a happy moment and you see a bunch of people like that was fucked up, fucking ask before you call her a dumb bitch. Think. Ask yeah. questions. 
When I when I heard all when I wow. hear all types of dumb shit that I hear from the right or whatever political views I don't agree with, I literally be like, send me an article on why you think we need a dumbass wall. I need to read. I need to know what's going on with y'all. It sounds crazy, but maybe you have a point. I need to hear what you have to say. And it's not until I do that do I realize yeah. we don't need a wall, bitch, you racist. You know what I'm saying? So why these people can't do that? Why that account couldn't go to Lanta and be like, I thought it was a nice segment. Can you tell me why you don't? What happened to that? We don't do that yeah. no more. We don't yeah. do that no more. Man. Make me mad Man. so early in the morning, Mike. You know. <laughs> I got cats fucking outside we're, my window. You got me make... talking about race. Come on. <laughs> Themes like this. Um, I know that, you know, people do like to... Um, get a take on, get a perspective on, and hear our views. And it's the sort of thing that we do talk about on Shots Fired, and that's when we'll be back midweek with our buddies Chisanga and Kairos. And uh, I'd like you all who listen to this show to join us there. Yes, please hop on Shots Fired. We get it. This is like the calm, cool, you know, <laughs> the, the quiet storm of MMA <laughs> on, on Shots Fired. There's more cursing. There's more arguing. There's more screaming. And Kairos yells the entire episode. It's so much fun. Please join us. Shots Fired. Shots Fired. Shots Fired.